Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everybody. You look like you got the Christmas glow this morning. It's great to see all of you. One service here today. 2011 was the year that we went to two services here at Grace Crossing Church. Uh, we, we began here in our building Christmas of 2009. Uh, and so as I look back, I just think of just the wonderful things God has done in really the last 10 years uh, here as a faith community. Um, and it's only been a handful of times that we had the privilege of gathering like this in one service. So take a look around. There are probably some faces you don't recognize today because they're in the other service when you come, but they're part of this church family. They're part of this community. They're part of your family. And so we're really glad to have all of you here. And we do pray and wish you a very very Merry Christmas. I know that many of you are going, like, that's so yesterday, right? Christmas. But did you know that in Christian tradition, that Christmas actually begins on December 25th and runs for 12 days? Okay, a lot of us do not know this, but this is really important. Christmas does not end at 11.59 p.m. on December 25th. In fact, that's just the very first day of this 12-day period that we celebrate as Christmas. Before that, we're celebrating what's called Advent, or the waiting and the anticipation. But this season called Christmas actually is a season where we are celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ has come to earth. And it culminates on January the 6th in what's called Epiphany, which commemorates the three wise men who were considered irreligious people that actually God spoke to, and they come, and they find the babe. Now he's grown. He's a young child, but they find him, and they worship him. And it's the first time that Jesus is actually revealed. That's what the word epiphany means. It means a revelation or an appearing, a manifestation, that Jesus is actually God incarnate, God in flesh who has now appeared not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. He's appeared to all of us. And so this Christmas season, these 12 days of Christmas, are very sacred and very special. And I would encourage you, if you have already kind of in your mind unpacked or put away Christmas for the year and you thought it's over, I'd encourage you to maybe unpack it a little bit more. And just think throughout this week about the gift that God has given to us in the person of Jesus who now has appeared as God in flesh. You see, Christmas is not just the celebration of a baby. It is the celebration of new birth that God has brought to all humanity. It is the celebration of what we sang about just a few moments ago. A celebration of the light And life of God that now has entered into the darkness and deadness of every human heart that will open itself to him. And has now invited him in. Brings that newness, that new life that God offers to us. And so, I don't know for you what was your most meaningful uh, gift this Christmas thus far. But for, for Kelly and me, no doubt it was just spending time with our family. We actually, for the very first time this Christmas, got to be with all 13 of us for about 36 hours. Our entire family, we, we took an opportunity to take a picture. I got a picture of our family here, all 13 of us, and we're so thankful to have 
Uh, these, all of these individuals in our family, Caleb and David, have come from L.A., and they're here this morning. Would you guys stand, and would you please join me in making them feel welcome this morning? We're so glad that they're here. Thank you, guys. Amen. So we are concluding this morning our final message um, in 2019. It's our final message of this season that we've been in, but it's also the culmination of a series, a seven-week series entitled, It's Possible. And before we go into this final message this morning, which is actually part two of what we shared last weekend on the, on the 22nd of December, I want you to take a look at this quick teaser of our new series that's coming up next weekend. Next weekend, we start our new series for 2020, God at the Box Office, and we hope that you'll be here and be a part of it with us. Now, this morning, I want to I begin this service with the verse we ended with last weekend. Here's the verse that we, we closed our service with last weekend, Jeremiah 29, verse number 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, I, I didn't take time last weekend because of the time to unpack this one, but we have one service today, so why not, right? I want to take a few minutes this morning as we, as we exit 2019, as we prepare to enter uh, in the next 72 hours a brand new year and a brand new decade. I just simply want to unpack this verse a little bit for us because it's filled with some great promises. Here's the first promise we get in this verse. God has a plan for my life. God has a plan for my life. Now, I'm curious this morning, how many of you in this auditorium are planners? Because there are really two kinds of people in the world. There are those who plan and those who suffer because of the plans, okay? So you got to put up with what's planned. How, like I'm curious, how many of you already have plans for New Year's Eve? And I see your hands, you've already got plans. Okay, how many of you, you, your plan is to have no plan? Let me see. You have no plan and you're happy with it, okay? I, I'm curious, how many of you have already made plans for vacation in 2020? Can I see your hands? Yeah, look at that. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? We have about half of our crowd that's planning, and then all the other spouses that are raising their hands saying, I don't plan, right? I let them plan. But here's what this verse promises us. It promises us that before we were ever conceived, God planned our life. Like God had a, had a plan in mind. So before we were conceived, there was a plan in the mind and heart of God about why we were being conceived. I think that's really important. Jeremiah actually begins 
uh, his book by saying this in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now just think, the scripture here tells us that God actually formed us. Before he formed us, he actually had a plan for our lives. He set us apart. He appointed us. And the Bible here says that God knew us before he formed us. That's pretty cool. And here's the second thing I think that Jeremiah actually is helping us understand, is that God already knows our plan, and because God already knows our plan, I can relax. I can relax. How many of you are like me that when your plans change, or your plans get interrupted, you get a little agitated. How many of you are like that, right? Like, there's no doubt that for me, when I am going from one place to another, I have a destination in mind. I have a plan that I'm thinking about. I've learned not to trust my GPS to get me where I'm going, okay? It can get me in the vicinity, but sometimes if you trust your GPS with the plan, you may end up finding yourself doing circles around the block looking for a place. We were trying to find a restaurant, and all of our family was meeting at a restaurant on Thursday, and we, we, we GPSed the location, and when we got there, we were in the middle of an apartment building complex. I said, there's no restaurant here that I can find. Sometimes when plans get interrupted, we get agitated, we become uncomfortable, we, we stress out. But what the Bible reminds us of is that God already knows the plan for our life, so we can relax. And here's the other thing I think that Jeremiah reminds us of. I think it's an important thing to share as I, I lead into this second part of the final message in this series, It's Possible. God's plan for us is good, even when life seems bad. God's plan for us is good. He has a plan not to harm us, but to prosper us. A plan to give us hope and a future. God's plan is good even when our life and things in our life feel bad. Now here's why that's so important. Because when things go south in our life, when things tank, when things are bad, we don't think God's plan is bad. We start to think God is bad. We start to question the goodness of God. Not just the plan, but the goodness of God. And I think what faith does is faith allows us to still trust God's goodness even when evil comes in the world, even when difficult things come into our life. In fact, I think that's what faith is. Faith is really at its best when life feels at its worst. And that brings us to, I think, this final message of this series, It's Possible. It sets up the second part of what we want to talk about today. Here's the theme we began last weekend. 
we looked at from the vantage point of Mary. This morning, we're going to look at this theme from the vantage point of the other person in the relationship, Joseph. Here's the theme. It's possible to trust God's purpose even when his plan makes little sense. It's possible to trust God's purpose or to trust that God has a purpose even when the plan makes very little sense. Now, last weekend, we, we looked at this from the vantage point of Mary, the biological mother of Jesus. And there's no doubt along the way what Mary had to do was she had to work through her sense of, of questioning what God was up to. Why would God choose this particular plan, and then why would God choose her for the plan? Why would God see fit to let that plan happen in her family? And this morning, we want to look at it from the other vantage point. The person who I believe is the unsung hero of the Christmas narrative. If you could only pick one or two people that you'd like to meet, from the Bible, who would they be? I think Joseph would be among one of my top people. I'd love to just sit with Joseph. I'd love to talk with him about what in the world was going through your mind as all of this is unfolding. And it feels as though you have very little say in the matter, okay? Mary's already said yes to the angel, but she hasn't even included me in this. What in the world would you be thinking if you were Joseph going through all of this? So last weekend, we primarily looked at Mary's narrative from Luke's gospel because Luke's gospel focuses on the humanity of Jesus, and Mary was the true source of Jesus' humanity. So what Luke's gospel does is Luke's gospel actually gives us the narrative of Christmas from Mary's vantage point. That's why in the third chapter of Luke, when it brings us to the genealogy, it actually, it actually says the line maternally through Mary because it's helping us to understand how Jesus came to pass and what his maternal family of origin was like. Matthew's gospel does the exact opposite. Matthew's gospel is not as focused on the humanity of Jesus as Matthew is the divinity and the majesty, the royalty, the kingship of Jesus. So where Luke's gospel writes to Gentiles, to Greeks, to those who are considered uh, outsiders, Matthew writes his gospel to the Jews, to those who are looking for a Messiah, They're waiting for their coming king. And Matthew opens his very first letter, this gospel that he writes, the very first thing he writes is about Jesus' genealogy, the origin of his family. Here's the first verse in the New Testament. I used to dismiss the first 17 verses. Here's the first verse of Matthew chapter 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now in that one verse, 
there are 42 generations. 42. So if you're thinking of a family tree right now, you're going way back. 42 generations. The next number of verses, what Matthew does, is he starts to unpack this genealogy, this family of origin, from Abraham to David, King David, from King David to the exile in Babylon, and then from the exile, the Babylonian exile, all the way to Joseph. Here's what it says, Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Now here's what's so important about Matthew's genealogy, and, and, and we're going to come back to this this morning as we end and talk about the significance of this. Because for many years, I dismissed these verses. I suspect I'm like most of you. You pick up the Bible, and if you start reading names you don't understand, you just simply want to want to just kind of pass over them, gloss by them, breeze through them, get to the really important part. Like, what did Jesus say? That's what matters. But this really matters. This is really important. And what it's telling us is that Jesus had royalty in his blood. Jesus came from the line of David, and David was considered the only rightful heir of the throne. So everyone, every descendant of David was considered part of the divinic uh, royalty or kingship. And the Bible makes clear that Joseph falls in that line. That's the reason when, when everybody was called to go and register for a census that was happening in the known Roman world, Joseph goes to Bethlehem, to the city of David. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Verses 4 through 6, Joseph also went up from Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Notice this, because he belonged to the house and the line, the lineage of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. There's a point in this story that I think gets lost in the narrative. Mary deeply trusted what God had said to her. But Mary also deeply trusted her fiancé, Joseph. Because if Mary had not trusted Joseph, Mary would not have journeyed with him. She's putting a lot of trust in his character. And so while Mary is struggling to kind of figure out God's purpose because the plan doesn't make sense, Joseph is brought into the same story. He's having to deal with the very same thing. God has a purpose that's now being revealed to me. I don't even get it. The plan makes no sense to me. Everything seems confusing. But can I trust that God has a purpose? Even when the plan makes very little sense. And so the very next verse in Matthew's gospel from the genealogy opens in the Christmas narrative. 
And here's what I love about it. I love the title that's given to the section. Now, these are not divinely inspired words in the Greek language, but they're important enough for us to know the meaning of what's being said in the passage. And the beginning of this narrative of the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, says this. Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. You know what I like about that? I like that because arguably Joseph was not necessary in the coming of Jesus. But God knew that Jesus needed a father. Every child needs a father. Every child needs someone they can look to as somebody who can be a father to them, a father figure, a surrogate dad, if they don't have a biological one. Every one of us in this auditorium needs somebody that we can look to. Some of us here did not have that growing up. I didn't. I was without an earthly father for most of my childhood. In fact, I didn't get to know my dad until I was a young adult. And just three months before my dad passed away from a self-inflicted gunshot wound at the age of 58, my dad sent me some of his, his trains that I remember as a child. One of my only fond memories growing up of Christmas was growing up and walking downstairs and seeing those old Lionel trains going around the, the track, around the Christmas tree. And when the divorce happened at age five, it never happened again. But I found out, as I got to know my dad, he still had many of those trains. And he gifted some to me and to Kelly just three months before he passed away. And as I was pulling them out this year, I was rereading the letter that he wrote. And I noticed something unusual. At the bottom of the letter, he signs his name, Love, Dad. But he puts Dad in quotes. Now, if somebody puts their name in quotes, what does it mean? It means they're playing a role. Like, it's not who they really are. Like, you don't quote a name unless you are saying, that's not who I've been, but maybe it's who I'd like to be, or maybe it's a role I want to play. And I recognize that, that he did not see himself as a dad, but thankfully God graced me with other dads. Some of you in this auditorium, you're adopted. Perhaps you, of all people, can identify with Joseph. Because somebody made a decision to accept you as their child. That was exactly what happened with Joseph and Jesus. He accepts Jesus as his son. But even though he does this, here's what happens. As we read the narrative, it's so interesting, the journey Joseph takes. Because Joseph's journey is very much like Mary's. He has to trust God's purpose, even though the plan makes little sense. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, here's where the narrative opens in Matthew's gospel. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. 
His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. I want us to zero in this morning on a phrase in this verse that often gets overlooked. Because there's something really significant being purported in this verse. And here's what it is. Mary's pregnancy was at the best suspicious. At the worst, it was scandalous. Did you notice that it says she was found to be pregnant? Do you ever stop to consider what those words mean? I think there are several important things to note. We do not know how much time passed between Mary being informed that she was going to conceive and Joseph being informed. Somewhere between point A and point B, Mary is found out to be pregnant. She's outed. That's literally what it means. What had been up until this time a private revelation now becomes public knowledge. And now her pregnancy is open to public scrutiny. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has their suspicions. Everybody has perhaps even accusations about what Mary should do about her issue. What we know is that that Mary carries not just the child of Jesus, she carries the reality of her shame with her. She's carrying this awareness that what has happened is not acceptable in her culture. She is marginalized. She is now an outsider in many people's minds. And there's no way God could look favorably upon her. See, the problem with Mary's story is there's nobody that could corroborate her story. Think about it. Nobody's showing up and going, oh, that's exactly the way it happened. Oh, I saw the angel. Oh, I was there for the experience. Oh, I heard the voice speak. Nobody. Not one person can corroborate. And her pregnancy, her virgin conception can neither be biologically proven nor scientifically proven. She has a major problem. Somewhere, Joseph finds this out. Now, the Bible leaves silence and leaves us to speculate how Joseph discovered or found out about Mary's pregnancy. It's very possible that because it was a prearranged relationship, that Mary's dad would have been the one to inform Joseph. Of the situation. The Bible does not say Mary came and told him. The Bible says it was found out. And so, however it happened, the important thing is not when it happened or how it happened, but that it happened. And all of a sudden, Mary's outed. And Joseph is left with a problem. 
what seemed like a really good plan to him no longer seems good. What seemed like an ideal relationship is no longer ideal. Nothing's ideal about it. And Joseph has to now say, what possibly could be God's purpose? Because the plan makes no sense. So you know what Joseph does? Joseph comes up with a plan, just like us. Right? So if we don't understand the plan, what do we do? We make up a plan. We do it on the fly. We'll, we'll figure something out. Why? Because we want to save face. So that's what Joseph does. Verse 19. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, did not want to disgrace her publicly. Here's his plan. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Do you want to know what Joseph's plan was? Cut your losses and move on. That was the plan. Just cut your losses. It's not a bad plan from where I sit. I think about Joseph, I think, Joseph, that's a pretty good plan. Sometimes it's just best to cut your losses and move on. But that wasn't God's plan. That was Joseph's plan. That was not God's plan. This is why I'd love to, 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 to be with Joseph. If I could pick a character, I think Joseph would be one near the top of my list because I find this guy so intriguing. Joseph was, first of all, the Bible says, a righteous man, which means this. Joseph would have inspired my faith. Joseph cared more about God's reputation than he did his own. That's what it means. He cared more about God's reputation than he did his own. I think it also reminds us and tells us that Joseph was a man of integrity. His life and faith were deeply integrated. We also know that Joseph was an emotionally healthy person. Because while Joseph is dealing with his own inner pain, he is still staying emotionally aware and present of Mary's needs. He's doing what emotionally healthy people do. They love well. They love God well. They love themselves well. And they love others well. Listen, you hear us say this here at Grace Crossing Church often. Because I believe it is a life or death issue. Our greatest call by God is to love well. It is the highest ambition of the Christian life. And what, Jesus, what Joseph is doing here is Joseph is modeling the utmost emotional health because he's loving really well. Yes, he had a plan to cut his losses and move on, but he was not going to disgrace her. He was not going to shame her. He was not going to humiliate her. He was going to honor her, love her, care deeply for her. In the midst of his own confusion and his own inner brokenness, Joseph is loving deeply. And he inspires me. Because I want to be known as a Joseph. Somebody who loves deeply, even when things in life don't make sense. So how does G Joseph model this trust? Well, I think the narrative tells us how. 
First of all, I think we learn from Joseph that Joseph trusted God despite his misunderstanding. He didn't understand. And yet he trusts God despite his misunderstanding. This was his plan. Here was God's, verse 20. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, I think it's interesting that the two Josephs we read about in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, are both known as dreamers. Maybe I'll do a whole message on that someday. Okay, I don't know what you think about dreams. I don't know how many of you here have dreams. But how many of you have ever had a dream that you go, oh, my word, that was so messed up. There, I don't know what I ate, but that was messed up. Okay, how many of you have ever had a dream like that? Come on, I, I have. This week I had it. I could not understand it. There was this huge flood, and my mailbox sunk into the ground. And when I dug it up, there were four mailboxes. And they all had sunk, and they had mail in them from years ago, checks and money that were still good. It was messed up. Okay, it was messed up. But it was a good dream. It's not a God dream, but it's a good dream. Four mailboxes. That tells you a story, by the way. I love going and get my mail. I don't know how many of you are like me. I just listen for the mail truck. And when the mail truck comes, I'm like a kid on Christmas. I go running out, I get my mail. Four of them. Can you imagine? <laughs> I like doing one service. This is fun. <laughs> but how many of you honestly have ever had a dream and you go, I just want to hold that one. Like that one felt a little spiritual to me. Come on. Anybody ever have a dream you go, Come on, nothing to be ashamed of. I have. I've had dreams I've held and then went, God, I don't know what that's about. But man, I woke up feeling your presence. I feel your, I'm aware that you're here in this place. This is where Joseph is. He's holding this. Nothing makes sense about the story. But he's trusting God. And he's trusting God in the most unusual of ways. Because not only now has Mary been found out, now he's having these crazy dreams. And he knows it's an angel of the Lord telling him. So, so Joseph trusts the Lord, and he trusts God despite his misunderstanding. Joseph also trusts the Lord despite his fear and doubt. Just like Mary had to. Look at verse 21. 20 and 21. Joseph said, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid. So what is the angel getting to here? Just like Mary, he's getting to his primal emotion. It's the one that, that underseats so many of the negative and, and difficult emotions we experience in life. He's feeling fear. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son. And now notice this. You, Joseph, are to name him Jesus. You're the one who I want to feel the weight of this more than Mary. Yeah, she's carrying this child, but you're carrying the weight of the name. And I've already told you what I want you to name him. Now you're going to name him, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
I think Joseph has to wrestle through this, this inner tension of crazy fear, just like Mary. Like, what are people going to say? What are people going to think? How are people going to treat me if they find out that I'm moving forward with a relationship that everyone else thinks is scandalous? How am I going to be treated? Which brings us, I think, to one final thing that we learn about Joseph's trusting God's purpose, even when his plan didn't make sense. Joseph trusted God despite the optics of it. He trusted God despite the optics of it. Let me just also add a footnote. He trusted Mary, too, despite the optics. Like this trust thing was a two-way street. And it was also both vertical and horizontal. They're having to give each other trust along the way. And Joseph chooses to trust despite the optics. Look at the final verses in the chapter. Chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Now, have you ever wondered why verse 25 appears in there? I mean, why doesn't Matthew's gospel just end? When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, took his Mary as his wife. Period, end of story. That's the Christmas narrative. Doesn't end there. Have you ever wondered why these words are here? But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born? I actually think it's profound. Because on the surface, I think it's easy to say, well, the reason that he didn't is because culturally, that would not have been acceptable. Listen, it's already a huge scandal. I mean, the lid is already blown off this thing. There's not much more scandal that you can already create. It's already there. Or, or we could say that maybe God prevented it from happening because God wanted us to know that no human seed was involved in the conception and the birth of Jesus. I, I actually don't think that's it. I actually think it's there because there's something much deeper going on here about Joseph's character. Assuming that Joseph found out about Mary's pregnancy fairly soon after she conceived, it would have been possible for Joseph to follow the temptation of his family of origin. To actually say to Mary, let's expedite this relationship and then we can just let everybody know on our wedding night you conceived. And we can cover our tracks. We can just make sure everything still looks good and we can save face in the process. 
Because in his family of origin, that begins in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and says Jesus was the son of Joseph, who was the son of David, who was the son of Abraham, both of his forefathers had deceived. Both had been deceptive at times in their character, in relationship with women. And it would have been highly possible in his family of origin for that to be something that had been passed on to him as well. But what does Joseph do? Joseph actually breaks the power of the past so that he can move into his future with God's blessing. He actually breaks the power of a cycle that's found in his family of origin. No, these were good people. But listen, they were deceptive at times with women. And Joseph could have been tempted to do the same, but he doesn't. Joseph says, listen, God's plan doesn't make sense to me. But I choose to trust his purpose, and I will not cover my own tracks, and I will not deceive just to save my face. I will be emotionally healthy and emotionally honest about how my son came into this world. This is how he came. No, I wasn't there for it, but I trust Mary, and I trust God who spoke to me. And that was all he needed. Now, here's where I want to leave you for 2019. If you're taking notes, just close your book right now. Place your pen away. If you've got your mobile device out, lay it beside you. Because I want to leave you sitting with a question. As I reflect on Mary last week and Joseph this week, both of their stories beg that question. Will I? Trust God's purpose for me, even when his plan makes little to no sense. Will I trust God as good, even when things may not look so good? So here's the question I, wanna, I want you to sit with quietly before God in silence, in his presence as we close. As I enter a new year, where is God inviting me to trust his purpose, even though the plan as I see it today makes little sense? Let me say it again. As I enter this new year, where is God inviting me to trust his purpose, even though his plan makes little to no sense? Would you quiet yourself right now? Would you close out distractions by closing your eyes? And would you make yourself available and present to God in whatever way that would be comfortable for you? For some of you, it may just be bowing your heads. For others, you may want to open your hands on your lap before you as a way of saying, God, I want to be open to you. There are plans that don't make sense to me right now as I exit this year and move into a new one, but God, where are you inviting me to trust your purpose? And will I do it? Like Mary, like Joseph, will I choose to trust 
that you have a good purpose and you are still good even when things don't make sense. Let's sit quietly in silence with that question for just a moment. Perhaps you just need to allow the Lord to reveal to you that thing in your life. That area where he has a purpose that doesn't make sense. Many of you already know what it is. Let me read our catalyst verse for the series that we've used throughout. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. Jesus looked intently at them and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. Humanly speaking, it is impossible to trust God's purpose when his plan makes little sense. Humanly speaking. But with God, everything is possible. Just because it defies logic does not mean it's not God's plan. Just because it seems unreasonable does not mean it's not God's plan. And just because it's hard or difficult does not mean it's not God's plan. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.